Welcome back to the Upper Think Podcast. On today's episode, Gabe Yannis and I were back on the mic for our weekly episode. This one, we dive into, Gabe asked me if I've been in a fight before, so I answer it here on the podcast. We talk about the CrossFit semifinals, and of course, discuss the Yeti question of the week. So stay tuned for that. Really appreciate all of you guys listening to these episodes. If you haven't, go back, check out the Kafu Klipas, check out our other weekly episodes. Would really appreciate a rating or review. Definitely helps out the podcast. Without any further ado, let's have a great episode, Mr. Gabe Giannis. Let's go. So we asked on Instagram for the Yeti question of the week. And this week, we had a lot of really good like questions that came in, a bunch of them. And one of them was <laughs> more of a joke, I, I think, maybe. What's the largest wild animal you think you could successfully fight and win? So I'll pitch that one over to you because you you probably have some gnarly wild animals in Texas. Um, we're actually dealing with a, a fox around our house. Um but I don't think that's as big of a deal as probably what you deal with. So let's start with you. And then I'll, I'll, I'll see what the largest wild animal I think I could fight is. Well, first of all, you make it sound like I'm in the middle of like Jumanji, which it feels like sometimes. Bro, you, you're, you live on a farm in, in, in like, I wouldn't say the middle of nowhere, but you're surely not in like a, a downtown metropolitan area. No, definitely not a downtown metropolitan area, but I think where a lot of people think that, like if they see pictures and videos that we post of like where we live, they think it's a lot more in the middle of nowhere than it actually is. You know, like we have everything we need, like honestly, super close by. Um, and there's no traffic anywhere, which honestly just like, to me, I much rather things be further away distance wise, but like never hit a single red light and a single bit of traffic like that to me. And I think a lot of people would agree, but anyway, to, to the question. Um, and I think it, it, it paints like a, a pretty um, good segue into a story that I was going to tell anyway. So this week's been pretty crazy. And actually, I was thinking a lot about this this morning because Ariel said something that got me thinking. She's in a bunch of Facebook groups, like different like moms of the area, Facebook groups and like neighborhood groups and whatever. And she said today, she was like, you know, there's a lot of people that are new to Texas in these groups because a lot of people are moving into the state, you know. And it was funny her saying that. Because I guess we've gotten to the point now where, like, we don't consider ourselves new to Texas, which, like, without going on a complete tangent, just, like, it's crazy how fast time flies because we have yeah. almost been here for a full three years, you know? What's uh, the qualification process to consider yourself a Texan? Uh, dude, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I bet if you ask Tim Kennedy, you get a much different answer than if you ask me. Um He's a little bit more of a, a a Texas diehard. I feel like 10 years, you could call yourself a Texan. Don't you think? I, I mean, no, because I've been here for two and a half and I, I consider myself a Texan. I mean, I love it here, man. There's definitely like a, it's funny because there's definitely like a Texas pride thing. It's very true. It's like a big stereotype, but it's very true. And I think that like, if you moved here because you like, like a lot of what, you know, Texas is about the outdoors and like, whatever, um, I think you buy into it pretty quickly and it just feels like, you know, feels like, Hey man, you know, it's Texas. But anyway, the story I was going to tell you and how it all ties into this like wild animal story. So we've been here for two and a half years and just in those two and a half years, like the area we live in has changed dramatically. And one of the things is that there's a decent deal of construction going on, like in our immediate area and not like actual, you know, like full on developments, but a bunch of the land that was just woods 
has been cleared out and they have sold them in 10 acre parcels where people are, you know, building houses. So again, still pretty spaced out, right? One house per 10 acres, super spaced out, nothing crazy, but it's definitely had an impact on the wildlife and talking to the neighbors, like they don't see deer as much in the same places, but the big problem has been coyotes because they're getting kind of pushed out of what used to be where they would kind of hide and do their thing. And a lot more people are having run-ins with them. Our next door neighbor, unfortunately, this is actually super sad, recently lost a dog to the coyotes. It was like a super, super small, older dog. Like, because the dogs here also, like, they wander around all the properties. Like, they kind of like, you know, you'll see the neighbor's dogs, they come over, it's all good. But no one's really like fenced in. And it's been a big issue. So our neighbors, unfortunately, lost a dog. And yesterday morning, dude, do the yesterday morning. Do just kill it and leave it? Or do they actually eat it? I think in that particular uh, situation, they just left it because like the owner came out in time to like scare it away. But unfortunately, it had already kind of done damage. It was an older dog. Um, so unfortunately, that happened. But yesterday morning, I was actually sleeping in the living room because again, side story, when there's a huge thunderstorm, I have to take our dog that lives indoor out of the bedroom because she freaks out and tries to get on the bed and the baby's on the bed. Dude, it's a mess. It's it's a whole mess. So I'm in the living room with our other dog and they start barking like crazy. And I look outside the window and dude, this coyote goes up to our barn. I see it go up to the barn. And the reason I didn't react right away is because I wasn't sure like I said, if it was a neighbor's dog, right? It's like you a can't really coyote tell. or like a, a small coyote. Because I've seen coyotes around here. They're like skinny and frail. Or is this one like Jack? No, it wasn't like a Jack Texas coyote. It was a it was a California transplant coyote. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. it was a yeah. Bay Area coyote. A, a no, frail, was, yeah. a frail, uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was pretty small. And dude, I see it go up to the barn, dude. And it walked into the barn and like 30 seconds later, just came out with a chicken in its mouth. But like- it literally walked in and walked out like you would go to the fridge to grab a snack. It was insane. Like clearly it had done that before because like we haven't kept count of the uh, chickens in the barn because A, we have a lot and B, they like roost in all different areas. But I've noticed that like we definitely don't have as many as we used to. And yesterday, like dude, literally it walked in and then walked out with a chicken in its mouth. And our, our dog was barking like crazy from from the um from the porch here but it wouldn't chase it until i let the other dog out and then they chased it together um which is usually what they did do. drop the chicken or did it, did it no it ran off with the chicken it was crazy it was insane probably not like something super crazy for people that have been here for a while but for us some of this stuff is still pretty new um anyway so now i have to make sure that i kind of keep an eye out and you know we're a little bit more careful about you know, protecting the chickens, but it was pretty wild. Dude. Yeah. That's that primal, like walks in, grabs the animal, boom, walks out. But dude, it was I, insane. You know, I, I, when it comes to wild animals, I'm trying to think of like, which one I think I would have a legitimate shot with. And I don't know where, like, I, I feel like I'm overestimating my capabilities and underestimating <laughs> their capabilities <laughs> because well, what kind of, what kind of weapons are you allowed to have in this, well, see, in no, this scenario? I mean, dude, if you have weapons, I think you're having a completely different conversation, but if it's just hand to hand combat, then you also have to figure like what type of an animal would, would be willing to like throw down with you. Cause if they are, they're probably ready to like, you know, like, I mean, most of these animals, I imagine if you're loud and big, they're probably going to go away. Um, I don't know, maybe a bobcat. I mean, I was just thinking, cause I, you know, cause I run the trails, <laughs> I run the trails a lot. 
Halle Bear versus Bobcat. Yeah, or like a mountain lion, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Do mountain lions are pretty gnarly, like you know? But they always have these signs on the trails that say, "Hey, mountain lions, bobcats, beware." And I always thought to myself, like, if one showed up, I mean, dude, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I think I'm talking a bunch of shit because in reality, I think one of these mountain lions who's really angry and hungry or something, they'd probably be a, a they'd probably be tough to deal with. So. Oh yeah, dude. They're like they're like all muscle and they have teeth and claws. It's a funny question though. I've seen, have you seen that meme of like, you know, just a reminder that like, there's a percentage of the population that thinks that they can, you know, defeat a grizzly bear in hand-to-hand -hand combat and just how absurd that is. Dude, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like when you see these bar fights happen and you have these guys who just think that they're like incredible fighters for, with no, like I saw Tom DeVos put up this video. Of the two kids just, fighting, or those two, these two guys, dude, yeah, <laughs> it is the worst. These two guys are getting into a fight, and it's in slow motion, and all you see is just miss, miss, miss. Like, I mean, it is just sloppy. And he brings up this fact, like, I don't know where in society, you know, you start to figure like there's no earned confidence there, right? Like, I mean, if you've never really exposed yourself to these things, what makes you think that you could do it? But then all of a sudden you get in an altercation or whatever, and you think you're, I mean, especially with some alcohol, but this video is pretty bad that, that Tom put up. That one got me, that was a pretty good laugh. Have you ever actually been in a fight? So yes, <laughs> I have. Um, that's a good question, actually. So, I mean, obviously, so when it comes to like structured fighting, you know, I used to spar a lot in Muay Thai, which was, you know, so I used to have um, knee, um, shin guards on and um, I'd wear headgear and I used to spar a lot doing that. And that was super intense, super intimidating. And I did that for a while. Obviously in jujitsu, there's no striking. So it's a little bit of a different type of thing. I have done some training, but those are like structured training where I'll do like MMA style training, but there's, it's very different. Um, when it comes to like old school, like, like, like street yard, like, uh, is it street yard, street, street yard, yard, whatever. Um, <laughs> yes. So let's see. I got in a few little tussles when I was younger, but the most, the one that like really reminds me the most is I was in high school. And at the time, Ashley and I, uh, I don't know, we were probably like sophomores in high school, sophomore, junior. So I don't know however old we are, but we're old enough to, to know better. Like you shouldn't like we, I wasn't like a 10 year old kid getting in a little tussle. So we're at this like street fair and for some odd reason, like, uh, there's like a group of us guys. We thought we were cool. And then Ashley and her friends are with us too. We're having a good time. I think we might've been having a couple of drinks, but it wasn't anything crazy. So we're leaving the event and we're just like walking on the sidewalk, chilling, just doing, minding our own business. And this guy runs down the street and he bumps into Ashley really hard, like kind of like checks her and he's like super drunk, but he's just like, he's running and he checks her and Ashley like kind of like knocks over or whatever. And I just look at the dude, and as he's yelling, he passes by me. I'm like, bro, you need to calm down. That's all I said. I was like, hey, man, you need to calm down because he's like drunk, being all crazy. And this dude, no words spoken, turns around. It doesn't say shit. Just turns around and just comes at me. And we go at it. So me and this guy were fighting. And at that point, I had had some um, – actually, no, I had no formal um, fighting training. That came after. So – 
this guy comes at me, but I was pretty big then. I was like 260 pounds. So I was, I was pretty big. So this guy comes at me. I'll never forget, man, the way that there was no word spoken. He just turned around. Cause you know, a lot of times, like in these altercations, like people are like talking crap. There was nothing, no talking crap. Just turned around, starts charging me. And we get in this fight. And then all of a sudden, all of our friends get in this fight. And it probably lasted like, I don't know, a minute, two minutes, whatever. The police end up showing up. My shirt gets torn off. And like everything just goes to shit really quickly. So so then my shirt's off. It's all nasty. And a buddy of mine <laughs> gives me a sweater. And I put it on because the cops come. And they end up arresting this guy. And none of us got in trouble. But the cops like swarmed in on it. That's like probably the most like real example of like a, a fight that I've gotten into um, that was like a, like a fight fight, like real fight. Um, aside from that, here's, I don't here's need my, a fight. Here's my follow-up question. Was Matt Walker a part of this group? I think he was there. Yes. Gotta, I'm pretty sure he was there. <laughs> you got to ask him about this time. No, you know who was there. Um, oh, man. You know, but anyways, that was- That, that makes was the story good, that much better. It was a good learning lesson for me because, um, you know- in, in the moment, right, you, you don't really think much of it. You're just like, hey, man, you need to calm down. I, I didn't say, like, overly aggressively. It's just like, dude, he's running up and he hits my girlfriend. It just wasn't cool. Like, it wasn't like a, like, hey, man, like, come on. And well, I think that in that case, like, you have to say something. Yeah. You have to. Absolutely. Like, you know, they're, yeah, yeah. And, hey, dude, it was just like, the fact they just turned from zero to 100, it was a, so, yeah, that was that. Was that. But I mean, you know, nowadays, I mean, uh, you know, this goes back into like what I do because I, I train so much now, um, stand up and combatives. Um, I'm much more comfortable. I, I, I would find it hard to believe. I think it'd be very unlikely for me to get into any type of physical education um, in the near future. I, I, I would think so. Just because of how comfortable I am, I think that um, that would exude that confidence would be would be exuded. And I don't think anything would happen. That's my assumption, but I don't know. Well, I think that, you know, it, it speaks to that point of, you know, when people train in combatives or martial arts, right? Like the lesson is always that, like, you know, you have this skill set, but you should use it responsibly, right? It should be something that you have. But it shouldn't be something that now that you have all these skills, you're going out there and like looking for a fight. If anything, you understand why it's so important to like deescalate at all costs while still having that, um, you know, in your back pocket if you need it, which I think is an important lesson. I was listening to a podcast the other day and God, I can't forget who they were talking about, but they were talking about someone that was like hiring a security team. Right. And, you know, usually when you think of security, you think of these like, you know, former, former linemen, like, you know, six something like two high, 200, 300 pounds, like big guys. And when they recommended the security guy, the security detail for this, like guy, I can't remember who it was. It was this like pretty unassuming, smaller guy. And he was like, dude, like, can you fight? Like security, that's what you do. And he said, hey, you know, you don't want those big bruisers to be your security. Like my job isn't to like protect you when like a conflict happens. My job is to make sure that you never get into the position where we even need to go there. Um, and I think it just speaks to that same thing, right? Like the truest way to like, you know, avoid conflict isn't necessarily to like go out there and, and seek it. That might seem obvious, but... Um, I think that that's what is taught in a lot of, of, of martial arts and combatives. Yeah, man. So yeah, anyways, it's been a long time since 
Yeah, it's not something I'm I'm interested in in being a part of. I think as you get older and more mature, you start realizing that like, you know, uh, I don't know. Did you see this video that was online? Uh, give give it three seconds. Have you seen this video? So, <laughs> so this Navy SEAL who turned trans and then came back. So he was a man, or he she. I I, I don't don't get mad at me if I'm using the wrong terms. This individual went from a male to a female, now has gone back to male. I don't know what he or she refers to him. Well, no, actually, yeah, it's a male now. And he was on a podcast. I just happened to see it on YouTube. And he was explaining um, the disadvantages of going trans and things like that. He was talking about a lot of stuff. But anyways, the, the clip in particular that I found to be really, really interesting is he talks about how if people just gave each other three seconds, they'd probably realize they have a lot more in common than they than they don't and that they could probably get along and his story goes essentially he's on the roof of this house and he's in all of his optics he was part of dev group like seal team six he has all these like green optics on and he's all you know you know loaded up with all of his gear and he gets on top of a roof and there's a gentleman there um who looks like a um for lack of a better term, I think he calls him a caveman, if I'm not mistaken, like, you know, long hair, whatever. And is just like uh, sitting, uh, it was asleep on the roof. Well, as he comes up, this guy was protecting like his flock and the house, whatever. He has an AK-47 sitting right next to him. The guy comes up and the dude with the AK wakes up. And so he grabs his gun. He starts to rotate towards the this individual telling the story. And the guy's like in Pashto, if I'm not mistaken, is the, is the language. Start saying like, you know, don't do it, don't do it, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down. And based on the rules of engagement, he had the, the ability if he wanted to shoot this guy, but he chose to delay for three seconds. This guy ended up never pointing the barrel at him, put the gun down, and they end up having a conversation because the individual, can, they both speak the same language of past two, I'm totally butchering that. So they end up getting to know each other they let this guy go, okay, because he wasn't a threat. He was just trying to protect his family. Two weeks later, he sees this guy at a bazaar, like an like a open bazaar, and he thought there was going to be trouble. This guy ends up thanking him for, for not killing him, and they end up becoming friends. This, the Navy SEAL buys a rug from this guy and continues to have a long like relationship with him. And it was just interesting because he equates it to, within those three seconds, I had a choice to either shoot this individual or if I had just given them three seconds, now all of a sudden we have a relationship and realize we have more in common than we have different. And he was equating that to people this day and age with every, you know, with all the social justice issues and everything going on. If you just gave somebody three seconds, you might realize you have more in common with them than you thought. So I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but it was a cool story. I'll have to send it to you. Yeah, send it to me. I mean, it, it goes on the same vein of, I think we spoke about it last episode, you know, the whole typing the email or, you know, sending them, you know, typing out the message you were going to send and then giving it three seconds overnight, whatever, just giving it time and detaching from the emotion of the moment to like, okay, like, is this worth whatever I'm going to send, say, do, um, or is it not? Yeah, for sure, man. I, um, dude, I have in front of me some of the numbers. So it's just totally, I, I have some notes that I have in front of me from some of the work that I've been doing lately with uh, CBP, NYPD, SJPD, and all these different things. And I'm writing down 
percentage of police departments that need additional fitness. And it's fascinating to me how many groups realize that like almost half their audience needs additional fitness. And I'm curious what, you know, I, I saw a report this morning. I'm, I'm not to go off on more tangents like I always do, but I saw a report this morning that one group um, in, uh, I, I don't know if it was Tennessee or where it was, they're now going to start giving people bonuses if you hit a hundred hours of jujitsu, I thought that was super cool. So basically if you're a law enforcement officer, let's just say you make a hundred thousand dollars for, for example, if you do a hundred hours of jujitsu, instead of getting paid a hundred dollars an hour or whatever it is, you'll make 105. So they're going to start giving you, um, you know, merit increases based on how much jujitsu you do. So, um, to kind of use a less lethal jumping around here, it's just, this was right in front of me with some, some other P and L information, which I could share. Yeah, man, it's a big problem, right? We've talked about it in the past. It's a huge problem. You know, people that have decided to go into a career where their fitness and, you know, them being able to handle their bodies and 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 really be proficient in combatives and also like just being in shape enough to where they have the time to take those three seconds. Because I feel like a lot of times things that happen out there and it's, you know, maybe easy for us to say because we're not essentially in the line of duty. But I think that a lot of times it's a lot more difficult to take a pause and take those three seconds and make the right decision when your heart rate is through the roof, when you have a side stitch because you're so out of shape, because you know you're running to where you have to make the decision. Whereas if you were just in better shape, right? If you're take your fitness more seriously, it's so much easier to actually like think logically and be like, okay, what's the next step here? instead of just like having to make a panic decision because you literally can't breathe. Um, I think that it, it it can't be overstated how important a base of fitness is for people to do the things that they even know in training, but have to do it when, you know, they're thrown into the fire and pressure tested, like you mentioned when you did the, the echelon front stuff. Yeah, man. And that's why I'm glad the departments are being more aware of it. And, um, you know, it'll help those people detach better, like we were talking about. So tomorrow I'm, I'm going to semifinals here for the games. I'll actually be doing some announcing, which will be cool. Um, some of the events, it's interesting because last week there was some feedback coming in that um, about athletes getting injured. Um, so one of the events, I don't know if you saw it from the semifinals, was a toe to ring, a muscle up, and then a ring dip. Did you see that? I did. And then you're wearing a 20-pound backpack, uh, go ruck. And I, I, I wanted to test this out because I wanted to see how it felt where, so as I'm commentating, but then I, I got in the moment and I was like, you know what? I don't want to test this out. Like, dude, it's just, it's just gnarly, man. Think about that. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't know. It just, it just seems like a lot. I mean, but then again, these athletes, essentially they're setting themselves up for this. I mean, this is what they're signing up for. It's just for me, it's just too much, dude. Like to do a toe ring, to do a muscle up, to do a ring dip, I'm good. But to do it with the 20 pound pack on, it definitely changes your weight and where it's positioned. I, I just haven't been training enough to, to put myself in that position. I had to kind of check my ego the other day because I wanted to do it. I was like, ah, eh, it's just not worth it. I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, the risk reward isn't there, right? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I want to try it. But I think I could still commentate on it with, with relation to like, I don't know if you've ever climbed a rope with, um, with a ruck on. But you know, I've never when, done anything with a ruck on. I think I've done like some muscle ups back back in the day with a weight vest. But even that I think is different because a weight vest sits so flush 
on both your like frontal plane and 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 on the back whereas the ruck what probably makes it difficult is the fact that it's so weighted behind you obviously yeah i mean that's the hard part about rope climbing you know when you when you climb a rope i did this at the rogue imitational years ago is when you climb a rope normally you lean back and kind of pull your knees up towards your uh uh you know pull your basically knees towards elbows but when you have a ruck on when you lean back the weight just starts to like kind of plummet you and so you have to be more upright almost like you're climbing vertically instead of using that horizontal energy and so i imagine that's what a lot of the athletes are going through right on these muscle ups if you lean back too far they probably just feel like this backpack's just taking them forever so we'll see how those events go i'm headed there tomorrow um but i always like commentating on stuff and just kind of sharing my perspective from competing for so many years so that's happening at pasadena semifinals actually when this when this releases It'll already be over, but hopefully I did a good job. <laughs> no, I'm sure you will, man. Um, it'll be fun to be out there. I'm sure you'll see a lot of familiar faces. And even though you're not competing anymore, um, I'm sure that the crowd will also appreciate just having you there and, and having you share your experience on it. You know, one thing that, and I think I mentioned this on this podcast before too, that I thought would be a cool idea for the Rogue Invitational, for example, is to have like some of the old school people you know, be able to pick a wheelhouse workout, right? Like maybe not the the one with the ruck, but something that you could do and either test it or do it alongside the athletes. I just think it'd be a cool way to see how some of the like old school people can stack up on something that, you know, is within their wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, but, so uh, like, let's just say there's 10 events. You're like, Hey, Jason, you could pick any of these to jump in a heat with these guys and see how you stack up. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd pick like a, echo bike uh i don't know i'd like to think that i'm in okay shape but some of those guys man they're on another level so but that that would be a cool idea so the rogue invitational is coming up in october so i i, I think they're going to be having the same categories and stuff like that that'll be a that'll be a cool event um for anybody who hasn't been the rogue invitational has always been someone that we we like going to every year so hopefully they have a legends category and i get invited again here's an interesting um Kind of follow up to what we spoke about last week with Mal O'Brien and and um, oh you know, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah the the pressure of like being a super young athlete and now the fact that a lot of these athletes are skipping doing any traditional sports and going right into like CrossFit all in. What I thought was interesting, and again, there's a lot of caveats to this, so let me just put that out there. But I thought it was interesting was last week Sydney Wells qualified for the CrossFit Games and Brooke Wells did not, which is super interesting, right? Because they're identical twins. One of them, Brooke, has been in the sport now. This was going to be potentially her ninth year qualifying for the games. And her twin, Sydney, had gone the traditional following the sport route, had done track and field in college, was a very good track and field athlete, and just now has transitioned into the sport of fitness. And she made the games and Brooke didn't. Now, the caveats there are, Brooke is just coming off of an elbow injury from the games last year, you know, but I think that that speaks to this, like, are you getting banged up by doing this sport this much for so many years? And is there some benefits to pursuing a more specialist type sport like track and field and just being athletic and then transitioning to the sport of fitness later on? I thought it was, as I was kind of like reading through the headlines, I thought that was a super interesting thing to come up given what we were talking about last week yeah dude, i'd love to actually dive into that more i'd like to be able to look into like 
I, that's a that's a really interesting test case, right? Is you're you're saying when did they did they both get in across at the same time, but just one chose to compete, one didn't? Because um, I think Brooke also did track and field, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I, I, she did. She did. I think it's. I think they they split off once they got to college because her sister Sydney was a D1, went on to go do track and field in D1. Um, I believe this is all like kind of like memory and things that I've read. I haven't looked into it, but I do know that the reason that she's just competing now is because she was doing track and field in college and she was okay. good. Yeah. I need to, I need to go look. Um, I, I'm curious about that just for myself, but the one thing I do know for a fact is that Brooke Wells was one second away from qualifying. Oh, and I want to talk about this because Something that I told myself, and this, this goes for anybody competing in anything at any point. If Brooke, so there's only been, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. There's been very few instances where I feel like I could have done more than what I did in an event. And if Brooke walked away from that run snatch event, I think it was either run snatch or snatch run, one or the other, one second off. If she could, if she finished that event, she said to herself, I just did everything in my power to perform the best I could. And that was all I had. Then really she has nothing to like be frustrated about. But if she thought even for an instant that she had more in her tank, that one second is going to eat her, eat her up for a little bit, but it'll give her good fuel for the next time she competes. Because for me, I experienced that. I experienced where I, I gave up a little bit mentally and I just was like, eh, it's like, I, I'm good. I got plenty more events this weekend. I'm just going to kind of uh, like, it was just like a, a second of, 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 of self just kind of like break and it haunted me. Right. And then I told myself moving forward, I'll never compete in another event ever again and leave any doubt in my mind that I didn't give my best effort. Because if you end up losing by one point or one second or one rep, dude, it just eats at you because you wonder what if, um, and I feel bad for her in that particular case. Cause I, I, I hope she's not in the position that I was in where I reflected on, I was like, damn, I could have, I could have done it. I could have done one second, you know, that's tough. Yeah. yeah. I think what's tough about some stuff like that too, especially at the level that the sport has gotten to now. Cause I, I, I would make the argument that everyone at the top of their game now is leaving it all out there. I think that the differentiator now sometimes becomes strategy and, you know, a decision that you made as opposed to like, did I give it 99% versus a hundred percent? Right. I think that back in the day, maybe that was definitely a differentiator. And I think that that's what made you incredibly popular back in the day is because you always were the guy that was just like grinding it out. Like watching you compete was fun because it, it was very obvious that that was like, maybe not a hundred percent of technique and like, you know, proficiency and whatever, but like a hundred percent effort was literally always there. And I think that that made you very relatable as an athlete. And it was fun to watch, honestly. Um, I think that now it's gotten to the point where everyone's putting that kind of effort out there. I think it becomes so much about like the decisions that you made and like the game within the game. So then it becomes a little tough because you can always second guess strategic decisions, always, no matter what effort you put in. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where like, um, I don't know what Ash and I were talking about the other day. We were talking about something, but it's like, you make the best decision you can with the information you have at the moment. And you just got to be able to just fall back on that, right? Like it is what it is. Like you're making the best decision you can. Um, 
but one second, man, that's, that's tough. That's really, really tough. It's brutal. Like, I mean, that's the closest I think I've ever heard. I I could be wrong. I don't want to, that is one of the closest I've ever heard from an athlete not qualifying for the games is being, um, one second off a running event. Like, like that's crazy. Like one rep, one pound. Okay. I get that. But one rep and one second on a running event, dude, that's, that's, that's tough, man. And I, I just hope that, you know, she uses this as fuel for her next step, whatever that might be. You know, she's, she's created a lot of popularity. She's came back from a terrible injury. Um, and, and, you know, now that her sister's in, hopefully, I don't know. I don't know how many more years any of these athletes have. I mean, Annie Thor's daughter is breaking records every single day. I mean, dude, she's been dominant since 2009. I, I just, uh, she's so inspirational. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting too. Like Tia coming back as a mom, is she going to come back as a mom? Is she not like, what's that going to look like? Annie came back as a mom and kicked ass. Like yep. that'll be an interesting thing to see. Mal O'Brien coming back. That'll be interesting to see. But I, the, the other thing that I'll mention, and I didn't watch any of semifinals. Um, so why didn't thought- you watch any of semifinals? That's the question, right? The, the, cause I'll tell you my, my theory, but go ahead. Yeah. You, do you want to know why I didn't watch? Yeah. Why didn't you watch it? I'm just not bought into any particular person um, right now. And I think that I'll, I'll watch the games when it's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit easier to watch and like the stakes are a little higher, but like, especially now, dude, like I, dude, my, my free time is this much, you know, like we have a six month old, like things are busy. Like I'm not carving out time to watch the semifinals or the CrossFit games, even if I would want to, I think that back in the day, another difference for me was just like, it was kind of like a, well, what do I do with the next three hours of my weekend? That does not exist anymore. Yeah. I, I yeah. I remember telling you, I think I told you that like a while ago. I was like, bro, it's going to, it's going to go away. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, you know, the semifinals it's, but I, what I was going to yeah. say though, is, is I, I, I didn't watch it, but I followed a lot of like the clips and stuff on social media. And the one thing that sounded like it happened and really cool and hats off to Brooke was, you know, when her sister qualified and they were announcing the qualifications, like she was right there, like super happy for her and like supporting for her. And that's, that's really cool given how difficult it probably was to miss oh. out, you know, being there and cheering for, you know, your, your sister, your family, your best friend um, is a sign of like a true awesome relationship. So I think that, that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, dude. hundred percent. That must've been so difficult for her because in the moment you're probably so happy for her because I, if I'm, I'm pretty sure that's her first games qualification. Mm-hmm. And so you, in the moment you're probably like, you know how much sacrifice she put in you, she knows, but then also not to be able to experience that for yourself. It's just, that's, 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 that's very difficult. Um, but the semifinals, what was interesting about them, and I don't know how they're going to solve this. I don't know what they're going to do for this weekend is some of the events were covered like super professionally. And some of the events were covered like low key. And so the feedback I gave to HQ is like, look, if you want to go like hard in the paint and have like really great commentator and great camera angles and all that stuff, like rock and roll. If you want to go iPhone, just put in the corner and that's like the expectation, that's fine. But when you have both, it's just so glaring the difference because the first event was done like with an iPhone, essentially, I'm probably understating it. And then after that, it went to professional. And so it just showed the drastic difference between um, experiences and the the people, people in the comment sections obviously ate that up. But I think if they had just kept with one, people wouldn't have noticed it as much. So 
this week and next week in the games, I wonder how they're going to handle that. Um, we'll see. And then, you know, Noble didn't show up at the semifinals either. That's, that's pretty odd. What's going on there? Well, supposedly they let go of uh, 70, supposedly let go of like, I don't know. 75 employees and their chief marketing officer, if I'm not mistaken, resigned. Yeah, but you know, it, it's a really good example of like, just when a company grows so fast, you know, if we we had those same problems. So like in 2012, I think we 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 um, achieved a major milestone and signed a big deal with Western Digital. And that deal took us all over the globe. We opened up like 15 locations within the span of a year. And, you know, we had some growing pains there. I'll be the first to admit, like, you're just trying to keep up. You're just trying to grow. And I imagine with Noble, you know, here they are, they've seen some tremendous growth and maybe they've had to kind of, you know, take a step back and kind of figure out what the future looks like for them. But as the, as the key sponsor of the games, it is a little odd. They didn't have any semifinal presence, but supposedly they still took care of the volunteers. They still took care of the athletes or whatnot, but to not have any presence is kind of odd. Super odd, right? Um, because they, what I saw posted was that they had a spot carved out for them in the vendor village and they just weren't there. It was just empty, <laughs> like empty prime real estate in these vendor villages. So yeah, who knows, man, but, um, it, you know, look, whatever it, it is, what it is, you know, businesses have to do what they have to do. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this before. It's just like, if they didn't see the return on their investment from setting up, or if they weren't in a position to do it and execute well, and they want to prioritize the games, good on them, let them do their thing. You know, like, it's fine. It just was odd that they have like a space carved out and that they weren't actually there. It would have probably been nice not to even have any space carved out so that people didn't have any expectations or if they had announced like, Hey, we're not going to be here. We're going to go big at the games. I think just that communication probably would have been, it would have alleviated people making assumptions. That's all. Yeah. 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 But you know, the semifinals, we'll have to see what happens with the games. I'm still making the push for two things. We should get rid of the teen division, uh, the 14, 15. I think that we should encourage them to go do a bunch of other stuff. And, and we should talk about that more. And the other is, I think we should have more events that are streamlined that repeat themselves on an annual basis so that we could have a sport that you could compare back to. And those are the two things I'm going to keep bringing up. And then hopefully one day they'll, they'll gain some more traction. Because I just think that every year, just all these new events, it's just, it's hard to keep track of as a spectator, you know, and, and, and it's also hard to relate to, you know, like they did the, um, I think, um, you know, the, the circular um, handstand, para, para, not parallettes, but um, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm butchering that one again. But they're they're doing this new, you know, these movements, and I, I've kind of messed around with that, but I haven't done it the way they did it. And so I just think as a spectator, they need to be aware of like, you know, what are they trying to test, and if they could relate to the to the spectators, because if they want to grow the sport, you know, reinventing the wheel every time it becomes really tough. The unknown, no an un, unknown and unknowable is difficult when you're trying to gain new spectators current ones and diehard crossfitters do they love it and so i think the games just kind of have to balance that because i imagine it's a tough tough thing to balance and i'm i'm lucky i'm not in their shoes you know? yeah yeah for sure uh, the other another clip that i saw around the weekend from andrew hiller who was who was there was he ended up being in the stands and started talking to a woman he was sitting next to and it was an interesting exchange because the woman he was sitting next to was apparently there to watch 
her daughter's boyfriend competing on a team. So she was very like, she yeah, wasn't yeah. a diehard CrossFitter. She was just kind of like there supporting, like essentially like a friend of a, a daughter. Right. So like right. not even super invested. And she didn't know where her family was at the time. So she was just trying to make the most of the time she was there. And he got into a really interesting conversation where he was like, do you know what's going on? And she was like, no, like, I don't see a clock. I don't know what the event is that they're doing. Um, and it pointed out a lot of what you're saying, because this person who happened to be there was having not the best experience because there was no way for someone like that, that isn't completely immersed in the sport to even understand what's happening on the floor. And I think that there are relatively easy fixes. Like he was talking about, like, why isn't there a big clock that everyone in the audience can see? And why isn't there like a big display of the workout why isn't there like a video playing on some sort of jumbotron before the event while people are walking in that explains the workout and shows like what the athletes are about to do and kind of gives a breakdown of where they are so i think that there's definitely some area for improvement but again much easier said than done and you know lucky to not be in those shoes where we're trying to figure out the logistics of running something like that and solving all those problems because it's also multiplied then by how many semifinals are there, right? It's not like you have to figure out one event. You have to figure out all these events across different geographical places with different teams for international in different languages. Like, dude, it is a bear of a project. I also think it's unfair to like sit back in your chair and be like, well, do a better job, stream better. Like there's a lot that goes into that. Now, do I think that CrossFit can, you know, needs to step it up no matter how hard it is if they really want to see the growth? Maybe, but also we have to realize that like, it's a lot easier said than done, right? 100%. And I think one of the things that I'm, I'm relating to is like detaching from your perspective is something I'm thinking about for this is that you get caught up in your echo chambers. So like, for example, I was talking to Zach. He's one of our coaches. He's super into the sport. Um, him and Margo, super into the sport. And so when we talk about the different events or different things, like they know it like the back of their hand, they, they know the event, they know the time domain, they know the athletes, they know, they know everything because they're really into it. You know, they listen to all the podcasts, they, they watch all the coverage, they follow the athletes, like they're really into it. And for many years, that's where I was obviously like really into it. And so when people would talk about things, I would just assume they just knew like, like, how would you not know that? Like, how did you not know that event number three is, you know, a three minute AMRAP with this? Like, uh, it, because you can't put yourself in a different perspective because you're so engulfed in it and probably your surrounding network that everybody just assumes. But all of a sudden, as you become one step removed and I'm not like following the sport as closely, still following, but I'm like, I'm like one fringe away. I'm not even like very far away, right? I'm going to be commentating at the event this weekend, but yet there's still a lot of things that I don't even know. And so I think making the making it clear for that like fringe and then the fringe outside of that to get them engaged on the sport, I think is important. And I think we need to kind of take a step back and take off our hat of like a avid, like diehard CrossFitter and think about the person who's just on the fringe of the sport. How can we clearly communicate to them what the events are, how many people are qualifying, all that kind of stuff. And I know they're, they're trying to do that. It's just difficult when the rules change every year, but hopefully they've, they've solidified. Like for example, I didn't know how many people went from semifinals to the finals. I had to go double check that online. And in Florida, for example, it was 12 men and 11 women or vice versa. But there was a different amount between the men and women based on the percentages. So you would have to know the sport to know that that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even when there were regionals, 
that stuff was so much more structured. Like it was right. so much more easy to know because you knew that it was top I mean, five. Now I forget, but yeah, it was like top five. And then, you know, it was equal across all of them, which I know made it like a little unfair because some regions were more stacked than others. I was always kind of like the, the criticism back then, but at least you knew because everything was the same. Um, For sure. I, um, I definitely want to, before we, uh, Yeti it. question of the week, the real one, yeah. not the um, one about fighting bears the, and coyotes. So the the um the 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 fighting bears and coyotes, we won't um we won't use that one for this week. Um any plan, well, this one was just you know random. Any plans for an NC fit Jocko victory workout plan? Um yeah, Mike, oh boy. you know, I, I'm obviously oh boy. <laughs> I'm fired up to, to combine some <laughs> jujitsu, some protector and some fitness. So stay tuned for that. I, uh, I think that for sure, that's something that's really important. Um, I I'd love to do more of that. So yes, we're working with those guys, uh, heavily right now. I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we go in and like, see who this Mike guy is that asked the question It's definitely like Jason's second account. Jason <laughs> like created an account to ask himself questions oh, so he man. can talk about things he shouldn't talk about on the podcast. So was it, um, did you want to do this one? Please define job duties of a full-time coach and number of classes and other responsibilities that we want to talk about today. Dude, your, your role here is to pick the Yeti question of the week. And then I answer it. We answer it. Um, yeah, let's start with that. So please define <laughs> job duties of a full-time coach and number of classes and other responsibilities. Now, I, I, I think that and they also talk about a realistic salary and things like that. But I, I think that um, let's start there about the coach, you know, and our business is a little bit different than a sole proprietor. Like our, our business um, has a variety of different revenue streams and opportunities for our coaches. So it is a little bit different, but the way we define a full-time coach is a 30 hour work week at minimum that allows them to have um, the opportunity to have 401k health, dental, all that kind of stuff kicks in at 30, uh, 30 hours a week. And the way that we divide out those 30 hours a week is that a full-time, um, coach for us, um, works in a variety of different ways, including they have a PT rate. If they're doing personal training, they'll have a coaching rate and then they'll have an administrative rate. And the administrative rate could be the front desk could be them writing session plans and programming for NC fit, right? We put it out for gym owners and coaches to the collective. The people that are helping us with that are real coaches. And so we try and keep the coaching to about 20 hours a week or, or around that give or take 20, 25 and the rest of their hours are filled with the administrative type work. So that's the way we do it. And I think that our goal in the future, this is our goal. Currently our coaches get paid pretty well, in my opinion, not to where we want to go. Um, but as part of that, that, um, total compensation comes the health the you know, 401k, all that kind of stuff in the future. Um, we're, we're looking to increase the hourly pay and maybe not be as focused on the additional benefits because our team seems to be more inspired by the amount they make per hour versus the additional benefits. So we want to align their expectations with what the company's trying to give them. So in the future, I'll be sharing more about that, but that's what we're currently doing is full-time do get those things. But in the future, we might end up just paying more per hour, paying more for salary and removing some of those things. Yeah. I, I, Jay, I mean, obviously you're, you're in the ins and outs of this stuff and you 
did a good job explaining how we define a full-time role. I think for anyone asking the question, because we're in such a unique situation, you know, I think that the question that's a little bit more valuable is maybe how do you just generally define? And I think that the important piece of that is you have to define it, right? You know, we've talked about this before and culture and clarity kind of being at this base of the pyramid of how we develop great coaches and how any gym can develop great coaches. And I think what's most important because you might not define it as 30 days and you might not have an administrative rate and a coaching rate. You might not have that need yet, but I think what is universally important and should answer this question for anyone out there that is owning, operating a gym is you have to define, you should have a job description that very clearly outlines what it means to be a full-time coach. And therefore you should have a job description that very clearly defines what it means to be a part-time coach. And what are the differences between the two and not just rate and hours and, but expectation, is there an added expectation? If you're going to be full-time, are there roles and responsibilities outside of getting there at minute zero and then checking out at minute 60 of a one hour class, the more that you put this stuff on paper and make it extremely black and white, the better, because then there's very clear expectations of what you're expecting and what the coach doing the job has to do to do like a good job or falling short of that. So I think that that's the most important takeaway because I do think that what we do is unique because we have the collective, we have coaches that program for the app, session plans, so on and so forth. And I know that not every gym out there is also going to have the need yet for administrative hours and coaching hours because they might not necessarily be paying someone to be front desk, even though they should, right? That's one of those things that, you know, you're not going to be able to afford a front desk person until you actually pay a front desk person. We've talked about that before. So that would be kind of just the biggest takeaway that I would sum up is whatever it is for your business, where you are now, the important part is defining it and not just defining it in like a, oh, well, this and this and that. No, on paper, in a job description that is signed by you and the coach. And it's clearly understood. And most importantly, is updated if that changes, right? Like as the company grows and evolves, that role might grow and evolve. And you might have a conversation like, hey, Jason, you know, now we are going to have you do some front desk here and there, and that's going to be a different rate. Great. Update the job description. And that should outline that as well. Yeah, that, that's all part of the culture and clarity. You know, I'm going to be speaking tomorrow on this idea of coach like a pro. And at the, at the cornerstone of that is the culture you're trying to set at your gym and then clarity with your team back and forth. It's a two-way street. So you want to have clarity with, you know, what is the coach trying to accomplish over the next X amount of years and what can the company do to provide that to them? And, and just having clear, concise, um, you know, like we're, we're just finishing our quarterly or semi-annual um, coaching evaluations. And that's a really good opportunity for us to then provide feedback to our team, show them trajectory and where that's going in the future. So definitely there's a lot to unpack here with this question. I think that one thing I do want to talk about before we close out, I was talking to a gym owner and I asked him a question. I said, oh, hey, you know, what does your membership base look like? What does your revenue look like? How is it broken down? And this gym in particular is doing a lot of PT and also memberships. But when I actually had them break down the numbers formally, it really was eye-opening for the individual. And so if you're a gym owner out there, you're listening to this and you're in the, you know, you're in the day and today, you're grinding, right? You're coaching, you're PTing, you're getting after it. Sometimes it's difficult to set aside time to really go into your QuickBooks, go into your books, go into your, 
you know, uh, Wattify account, whatever you're using, and really look at where the revenue is coming. But what I think you should do is just set aside some time. Because if you don't know your numbers, you can't grow your numbers. And what oftentimes happens is that you might be robbing, my dad uses this statement all the time. I don't even know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? I don't know. That's He says this all the time. Where you might be taking money from doing your, like for example, your kid's class. It might be draining resources tremendously, but you just don't know it because you haven't ran the numbers effectively. So just make sure that if you are listening to this, if you are a gym owner, you need to know your numbers. You need to know where revenue is coming in from, where expenses are at, because it might be super eye-opening to you what's actually draining on your resources versus actually adding value to the business. So this podcast, we don't go too hardcore on business, but every now and then I just want to make sure we share the you know little things that we learn in, in, in our in our organization. Yeah. And just what I would do to tie that back to literally anyone that's listening is the same thing goes for personal finances, man. Something that, you know, I've been, I mentioned this before diving into a little bit more seriously now that we have a family, same thing goes, man. Like you got to look at everything. There's a lot of things in there that when you really pay attention to, you might be like, Oh, should probably change that. Yeah. That DoorDash. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you know what, bro, we've had a, we've had a car, <laughs> Like once or twice a week now, there's a car coming up our driveway at like three or four a.m. We see them on our cameras. I, dude, I gotta. Anyways, I gotta. I gotta look into it. I'll keep you posted on that. I'll keep. That's you that's sketchy. <laughs> sketchy, right, dude? Like what the? Fuck? <laughs> uh, oh man. Uh, the one one thing that I want to mention before we head out. Uh, so I had a call earlier this week with a uh, Zach from uh, Boulder CrossFit. And he mentioned that he listens to the podcast, loves the podcast. So shout out to Zach. And then I just saw an email come in from him. He's signing up for the collective. So shout out again to Zach for making an awesome decision for Boulder CrossFit and coming on board with the collective. Just wanted to give him a shout out because I literally just saw the email come in. Um, and and I love that. Excited to have them be a part of what we do and um, excited to have them listening to the podcast. Yeah. Gym owners, coaches, make sure you guys are checking out the collective. That's our session plans, our programming. Um, it, we have coach like a pro that's this first cohort is pretty much almost, I imagine when this podcast comes up, it'll pretty much almost be closed or closed, but make sure you guys check that stuff out. Make sure you're checking us out online. And, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're rolling jujitsu or you're in the protector space, get excited. There's, there's more to come more to come. Gabe is Gabe's looking forward to putting on his first gi or actually not his first gi. He, we getting him into jujitsu and, um, you know, we're working closely with several people in that space. So excited to share with you guys some stuff coming out in the future. But for now, gym owners, coaches, make sure that you're checking out the things we're providing. We've been owning and operating gyms for a long time. I think we have some really incredible products to share. And the Coach Like a Pro course, I'm really, really looking forward to diving in, especially on those calls. So keep crushing it, keep getting after it. And uh, Gabe, really appreciate you, man. And uh, look out for those uh, coyotes. Oh,